You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Today marks an historic day as uh, Anglo officially successfully completed the unbundling of its coal assets with the listing of Tungelo Resources. Well, the shares began trading on the JSC today and if you're currently an Anglo-American shareholder, uh, you should see these reflect in your account from uh, Thursday next week. Tungela started life as a separately listed company with a market value of around 250 million US dollars, which is just a third of the EBITDA that it's likely to earn this year. As I was reading on a, a Reuters report today, they said that's the investor equivalent of an extremely long barge pole. I would call it something else. I, I call it slightly irrational. Anyway, July and Lovu, CEO of Tungela Resources, welcome to the show. And uh, I'm sure not without some controversy, as we saw a notorious short seller in London trying to muddy the waters around uh, the environmental rehab liability issues. But let's just start with what's going through your mind today on this very auspicious day for Tungela. Quite an exciting day for us. Um, it's the day we ignite our own future as a standalone pure play thermal coal, uh, a day where we can begin to define our own destiny, where we can create value, uh, not just for tomorrow, but for decades to come for our shareholders, for communities, make a difference for our country and our employees. Now, what will investors be getting in Tungela Resources? What is the investment case? Because you're now a single commodity player, and that is coal, which, uh, let's face it, has a pretty dirty reputation. So let's start with who is Tungela. Tungela is a uh, leading exporter of thermal coal, probably the largest in South Africa. Uh, we have got seven assets, three underground mines, four open-cast mines, predominantly an exporter, uh, with an enviable cost position in almost all of our mines, uh, other than the project that we're ramping up uh, in the lower part of the cost curve, our mines are equipped uh, with mature infrastructure next to uh, each one with a very efficient rapid loading terminal next to the um, world-class uh, rail network going to RB City, probably one of the world's uh, most efficient bulk handling terminals. This is a, a portfolio that we have run. We understand these assets. They are efficient. There is optionality for us to be able to extend the life of our mines. So it, it is a, a, a portfolio that is well poised to deliver attractive returns going forward, especially in the current market. And we'll come to the current market. I just want to understand the, the, the financials a little bit better in terms of uh, the, the payout, the yield. Uh, I believe you're going to be paying 30% of free cash flow <laughs> after sustaining capital and dividends with a view to increasing that payout ratio over time. That's correct. Um, what we've said uh, is that uh, we intend to start off by, uh, by paying 30% of our operating free cash flow. Uh, clearly, our intention is that we would increase that on a go-forward basis as we reset our, our assets to be more competitive, uh, to be more efficient. But we say that with the knowledge that, in fact, we don't have any capital decisions that are imminent, uh, we don't intend to do any life extension decision before 2023 and things could not have happened at a better time for us. Now, the obvious thing that investors are getting with this then is uh, there is some liquidity because uh, Anglo-American is, uh, isn't is keeping a residual stake in the coal business. The the scheme is for one Tungela share for every uh, 10 Anglo shares held. And uh, there's this financial underpin that is predicated on yield. The third issue, I guess, is 
is that investors do get risk that comes with it. And uh, it's been the big talking point in the market, the extent to which uh, you're going to be a proxy, not just for the coal price, but also for what's happening around coal and the, the themes around ESG and, and the future liabilities that now you have on your balance sheet. Just take me through how you think about those uh, inherent tensions. So, firstly, we have got a, a robust balance sheet, so you are right. And with improving market dynamics, I think we are well poised and secure in that regard. However, one can't ignore the, the mega trends around ESG. But having said that, uh, Michael, you can imagine when everyone talks about ESG, they're actually talking about the E. Now, in fact, they're not even talking about the E, they're just talking about emissions. Our position and our robust approach to this uh, ESG framework is to deal with all three in a far more integrated way, in such a way that actually we make a difference, not just to our employees, but to the communities and the country within which we operate. We are custodians of a valuable resource uh, on behalf of the people of this country. So we have a responsibility to operate it as responsibly as we can. Having said that, one should always think about ESG and transitions in two ways, in my view. The first one is that, you know, we've got a first world view which says the end of coal is here. Uh, in fact, everyone is writing an obituary for coal. However, there are emerging markets uh, like us, like Asia, where in fact coal is likely to remain as part of a key part of the energy mix for a decade, maybe two decades to come. Why do I say that? If you think about the transition, what you're talking about is moving from uh, a fossil fuel based energy infrastructure to renewable. Firstly, we've got to build that energy infrastructure. And to do that, you're going to require energy. Let me give you a, a, a clear example. If you're going to put a, a, a wind turbine, you require 260 tons of iron or 170 tons of coking coal. You've got to mine that coal before you actually have got renewable energy. Where are you going to get the energy to do that from if it's not from the current energy infrastructure? Secondly, the edge of the energy infrastructure in the developing economies we serve with our product is much younger than the Western world. In the U.S., our power stations are roughly 40 years old, 35 years in, in, in the EU. It's perfectly conceivable and rational to think of retiring such equipment, even though it's got a useful life of 50 years plus. In China, it's only 13 years, 18 years in the rest of Asia. It's a completely different discussion. In my view, and that's our conviction certainly, is that we're going to see a transition that is probably a dual track or in fact sequence with the first world going much faster than the developing world actually are on the back of that. But lastly, the intergovernmental uh, partnership on climate changes say that in fact they don't see a net zero future without technologies such as carbon capture, sequestration, and use. If that's the case, that's the same technology that actually uh, enables the continued use of coal. And that's why we believe as Tungela that the future of coal in the markets we serve is still secure for the foreseeable future. And uh, that is uh, in your prospectus as well. There's a, a another theme of criticism that comes through from environmental activists in particular around uh, rehabilitation uh, and that uh, what effectively has been happening is the majors, Anglo, um, South 32, others have been carrying that on their balance sheets in respect of funding the mine closures 
and uh, and they should have really been there at the end to see it through. They've now passed this liability or responsibility on, and the, there's a question mark around uh, where the investment, where the expertise are going to come in in terms of rehabilitating these uh, open pit mines at the end of their lives. What is your post-closure rehabilitation strategy? For example, are you looking and assessing the value of the coal mining land, looking at how much it will be worth if it were rehabilitated, and certainly in the context of South Africa, what that land could be used for when we speak of agriculture or land reform, all those kinds of things? Let me speak on behalf of Tungela in terms of this subject. Firstly, I think we have taken a very pragmatic and prudent approach to our providing for our closure liabilities. Firstly, we provide on our balance sheet more than is required by the law. Uh, and the reason that why we do that is we want to do the right thing. And our former parent has supported us in terms of setting us on a pathway by making sure that we've got the balance sheet and where we thought to do that. I think it's not a coincidence that, in fact, they've allowed some of the most skilled people in Anglo-American to go with Tungela. It is a recognition that, in fact, these skills will be required to make this company sustainable. In terms of the question you're asking, I think that's part of the, the point I was making about, you know, when we talk about ESG, we should not just focus on emissions. ESG talks to land stewardship. It talks to water management. It talks to the impact we make in the communities. And certainly our obligation and responsibility is to make sure that in the most practicable way, we return the land that we have disturbed to a sustainable use long after we've completed the mine. And that's our aspiration and those are our plans in terms of closure. July and Lovu, CEO of Tungela Resources, which began life as a separately listed company today, spun out of Anglo-American and uh, quite clearly uh, investors uh, voted with their feet away from it. I think looking through the numbers, that is uh, quite clearly uh, a sign of uh, how powerful the ESG theme is uh, because the numbers are compelling. And uh, I would imagine that we'll see uh, something of a bounce back in the share tomorrow.